This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today on the show, we have Josh Holtgren. He is the leader of the internal audit department at API Group. For those that don't know, API Group is a multi-billion dollar provider of safety, specialty, and industrial services in over 200 locations worldwide. API Group brought Josh in to really launch the internal audit department. And so that's a large portion of what we talk about is what were some of the first steps you took in building an audit department? And while you as a listener might've been in your inter internal audit department or a leader within that department for whatever, 20 years, I think there's still lessons to be learned from the folks that have had to build from uh, basically from scratch. So there's still a lot of nuggets within what Josh talks about and starting from the ground up, I think there's still a lot of nuggets for folks that have uh, more mature processes anyway. Something that was easy to pick up on when I first talked to Josh was this idea of executive presence and i know there's been some discussion around um, when we look at the cae job title the chief audit executive job title we, we have a lot of people with the a so we have a lot of chief auditors but we don't have a lot of chief audit executives um, maybe by job title we do but functionally not as much and so I, I definitely got that feel from josh and so we dive into how do we build that executive presence also asked Josh, uh, what's a commonly held belief that he passionately disagrees with in the audit profession? And then as an audit leader, what does he actually care about? Here we go. What makes your brain happy? You know, it's going to sound sick saying it, because honestly, I thought about it. And what does make my brain happy? And and my wife would be appalled by my saying this, but it's it's spreadsheets and data analytics i don't oh. know why yeah it just works it just flows in my head versus um you know numbers stick words don't i can remember people's phone numbers from from elementary school uh, it's 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 a wild thing i don't get it yep uh i was going to say the same, well i i can remember most of mine from uh high school because i didn't get a cell phone until i was like a senior so i had to memorize everybody's <laughs> phone numbers basically yeah. but there's still I mean, they still have the same numbers. And uh, every now and again, this one friend in particular should be like, what's Justin's phone number? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you gotta remember elementary school for me was the the rotary, right? So <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> All right, perfect. Uh, what song makes your brain happy? Uh, you, you know, I've got five kids. Um, so the, the song that currently, there's a difference between work music, work music, I love my jazz and my classical because it, you can you can do things while listening to it. But around the house, the song that makes me happy at the moment is uh, definitely, uh, we don't talk about, uh, <laughs> what's that? oh, what's his name? Oh, from Encanto, the, 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 the new movie. We don't talk about Bruno. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we, yeah. we made it about 15 minutes into that one. And uh, my three-year-old said, 
no, I'm good. So we haven't, it's, it's like that with every movie, like literally every new movie. I'm like, there's a new movie. Let's watch. There's a new Pixar movie. Let's watch it. And he fights it and fights it. And, and I, we've seen Luca probably 20 times now. Absolutely. And, and I never like it the first time, but yeah. like number two or number three, it catches on. And the next thing you know, we're all singing it around the house. All right. What's your favorite tool? Favorite tool, any BI tool. And, and I don't even care if I don't know it, it will become my favorite tool if, if we have. And I beg my IT group for anything or anything they can give me, a Tableau. You know, right now we're a pretty much a, BI, a Power BI shop. And so it's heavily that in Excel. Um, love those tools. Love analyzing data. If you were to, like if you, if you said, hey, everybody in the, in the audit department, you have to know some level of data analytics, what would be the floor? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's actually funny that you asked that because right when, when I first started the department and I, and I had my group on board, we, we got too busy to keep doing this, but we had a weekly Excel challenge. Mm-hmm. I like that. For yeah. no other reason than to continue bolstering their capabilities. I, I, I've told everyone in my group, I'm like, look, if, if I can do one thing for you in your career, you need to be able to keystroke and understand and write formulas better than anybody else. Uh, and, and so that's, it's been a, it's been a big push of mine. Um, I was self-taught, but you know, the more I can help people to learn that, I, I, th- I honestly think it's a career developer. Yeah. I said this at GAM cause I got a somewhat similar question of if there's a CAE in the audience that has no resources, what, what would you recommend? And I said, every, literally everybody in this room has Excel. And I said, pivot tables, a lookup function. And then figure out how to Google all the other functions within that you need to clean your data or whatever. Yeah. And then I said, and you can do that with YouTube. And I was like, all that's free. You can't scale it very well, obviously, but it's a good, it's a fine place to start. That's how I started. Yeah, you should see my ERM Excel. That was one of the more complicated formulas I've ever written. I actually got it where it, it looks at the ranking and then it puts all of the things into the correct buckets and it actually concatenates them as well. It, it's, right. but I had to Google that. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot it's of a, it's a blast. A lot of googling. All right, um, I like that. I thought there was something else. How did the how did that weekly Excel challenge work? Did you pick like a function and go, "Hey, use this to do something," or how did that work? Yeah, I actually I actually googled. I actually googled Excel challenge. Yeah, yeah. That's, as soon as I asked so, it, I was like, I bet he just googled it, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I found a website that that had a bunch of them, and I would just. It basically like laid out every function, and so I would I would kind of pick and choose and go, okay, what's what's an important function that I want my team to be able to know? Yeah, lookups are huge. Lookups, pivots. Most people know how to pivot pretty well, but lookups. Uh, and then we got into I don't know if you've used this one. I wasn't even familiar with it, which was I think it's a is it an X lookup now? Yeah. So I mean that's now what we're using more often than VLOOKUPs because it's new with uh, Office 365. I was talking to a group yesterday. They have a like a data team. So uh, within their internal audit department, I think it's five people, maybe four or five people. And I was talking to them about how to get everyone on the team to do something with data, and and they went through a similar thought exercise and put a deck together and presented it to their group. And one of the things they did was a, they called it the challenge. And immediately when I saw that, I thought of Seinfeld and I was like, somebody else had to have made that (laughs) reference, right? Like, I don't think they did, but when they put it together anyway. Um, 
but their thing was you get, and I think they did it for like six, eight weeks. You got one point if you used a lookup function, one point if you used a if function, and two if you used a pivot table. And then you would do that, and then someone would review it. It had to be in the reviewed stage to get the points, but they would review it and then um, you know calculate the score, and you would get there was like gift cards. There was a half a day off. There was a full day off if you won. Wow. Um, and I asked how successful that was. And they said it, there was inevitably uh, it happens where there's some people who are just like, could not care less. And then other people like yeah. really jumped on it uh, that were and learned how to do some of that stuff. And so I thought that was a really interesting approach. That's why I was asking so much about how the, the weekly challenge worked. Yeah, we, we would actually basically say, I, I would lay out kind of a, hey, here's a situation. I need you to be, take this. I mean, this is a really a real rough example, but say uh, nothing but horizontal. I want you to turn it vertical. Yeah. Right. And I'd be like, I want you to create a formula and whoever has the simplest way of doing this wins. And, and so then I would be the judge at the end of the week and, and come in and, and, and determine who, who did it the best everyone. But here's, what's interesting. Almost every instance people would do it different ways. Yeah. No, mind you, they were pretty complex. So it wasn't as simple as what I just said, but you could just do a copy paste value, you know, uh, transpose. But yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was interesting to see the results. There was a, somebody I used to work with and we were doing that. We were doing some kind of opioid project and he was brilliant. Like, and I might've told you this, I, I told somebody recently, like brilliant, anything. I, he didn't know Python. I went, I think that's important pick it up and learn it. And then two days later, he's like, all right, I think I've got most of it down, you know, just that kind of person. <laughs> and so I was like, there was some test. We were trying to see if doctors wrote themselves an opioid prescription. Mm. And he did, I mean, I was going, it was in ACL and I was going through his code and I was like, dude, I don't, what are you like, what's going on? Can you walk me through this? And he went through it all. And I was like, Oh, that makes sense. I was like, "Will, all you have to do is say, does the doctor field equal the patient field? It was like two lines of code. And he was like, did not realize that. So it is fun to see uh, the differences yeah. that, that are how people get to an answer and how some can be complicated. Usually my way is the most complicated way, but uh, if you could grab every auditor in the world by the shoulders and just shake them and say, will you please just do this one thing? What would that be? Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm just going to use my past experience, right? And I've got a lot of, I've got 20 years and, and in no way am I the most intelligent person there is. And almost everything I've learned, I've learned through failures and just like everybody else. Right. So um, to get to where I'm at, I've had to fail a lot of times. And, and, you know, the one thing that I've learned and, and I, I push people on very, very heavily has to do with soft skills, actually, of all things when it comes to audit. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, look, I've had a lot of CFOs come back to me and give me compliments and, and give me suggestions. And I've never had someone come back and say, gosh, you know, you're just, you're so technical and, and you just, you're able to just, you're, you're, you're problem solving. No, 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 no. It's always, boy, your ability to be able to handle people and understand where they're at and be able to apply that to solving the problem. It's always about soft skills. And, and, and I find auditors in general, in general, this is general, there's still, there's, there's a lot of really good auditors out there, but soft skills is an area that most people lack. And it's, it's something that you don't, you know, there's not training on it. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you gotta be forced into it and just start doing it. Um, and, and, and I could go into an hour long speech just on soft skills alone. Um, I, but I push it heavily. I push my team all the time into, you know, look, if you're going out on, out on site, 
make sure you take them out to lunch. Make sure you take them out to dinner. Make sure you understand how many kids they have, where they went to school. And it's not about becoming fake, right? I'm not, we're not pharmaceutical sales reps here. My goal isn't to build a Rolodex and beta impress people with what I know about you. It's about building a relationship and about building trust uh, because auditors in general have a, 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 people look at us as police and look at us, you know, you come out and people, you don't, you know, like, ah, the auditors are here. Well, if you built a relationship and you've built a trust factor, and, and they look at you as a normal a human being who has their best interest in mind, it, it breaks down walls and barriers. And it's amazing, you, you know, what you're able to get out of that. And, and in particular, the day that you start getting people calling you with their issues and asking you, hey, look, I have a situation. Um, I want to make sure I do this right. You know, what's the right way to do this? That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and we, we have instances, as a matter of fact, it's kind of funny because we'll, we'll get phone calls about accounting treatment. And we're like, well, really, you should talk to the finance team. about that. Yeah. We're the auditors. Let me let me, you know, dial in the controller and the controller's like, why are you why are they calling you? And yeah. I'm like, because we built the relationship. <laughs> nice. That's one of my favorite metrics is. How often does. The client or the auditee, however you refer to them, come to audit with a question or, Hey, we need your help with this. We're doing this, um, as a metric that I've always, I've always liked. Yeah. Is there a, I know the training you're talking about is, is kind of tough maybe to find. Is there a particular soft skills training course, um, conference, anything of that nature that you found that you, you would recommend? Yeah, it's funny. I've never seen a training on soft skills ever, which is probably why we lack on it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's so important. It's so incredibly important. And you, mind you, you have to be bright. You can't, you can't go in with soft skills alone. And you have to have some intelligence behind it. But I've, I've never seen it. The best thing I can actually ever suggest for people is you just have to stay by, by myself. I'm an introvert by nature, but, you know, I don't know. It's a funny Geico commercial where they talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's really rare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the fact of the matter is it's learned, right? You have to get outside your shell. You have to start pushing yourself and you have to start just trying it. Right. And, and just start talking. And it's amazing. Well, people want to talk. Mm-hmm. People want to open up. People want someone who will listen. And if, if we stop talking and we just ask a question and just be quiet, You'll, you'll learn in, I would say the majority of my things that I've learned about organizations is when I just don't talk mm-hmm. and just lead the conversation and, and just let them, it's amazing what people will tell you. Yeah. Um, it, it, whether it be, you know, look, you know, you come back and, and, and this is a perfect example. I was in Italy doing an audit and, you know, we were out to lunch with the whole group and I just started asking some just probing questions and they didn't realize I was probing. Uh, but started to get responses and I got enough responses that I was able to go back to the CFO after the whole trip and say, boy, we, we have an issue. Mm-hmm. We have, we have an environment issue where we have people who I'm, I'm worried are going to start quitting and, and we need to put, you know, some actions in place here, totally outside of socks, totally outside of operational audit. This is an environmental thing where, you know, internal audit in my mind is, I hate the term internal audit. I, I, I can't stand it. I do not want to be called internal audit. I try to rebrand myself all the time. We are business process people. 
we find areas that need work and we fix them yeah. and we help to fix them and we help to give guidance. And, and, and so I hate the word internal audit, by the way, but um, you know, that's what we do. And, and if you want ROI, if you want your executives to appreciate what you do, you need to bring them value back. You know, it's, 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 it's like socks. Everyone looks at socks and basically says, well, it's something I have to do because it's a regulatory thing. It's, it right. doesn't add value. Um, but you can make it at value. Right. The, um, I, I, the internal audit name thing, I think we did like almost a full episode on that before and yeah. we talked about, or, or as a common question that we asked for a little while, if you could rebrand the name internal audit, what would it be? Um, and one of them was like defenders of the universe or something ridiculous like oh, that, but he was a big yeah. Marvel, big superhero fan. So I, I enjoyed that one. Uh, and then the other thing, so talking about asking questions, I remember reading this on a website called Quora, Q-U-O-R-A, a while back. It's a, you ask a question and people will give you their answer. Um, and I forget what the question was now, but the answer was people find people that ask questions interesting. And maybe the question was, how do I become more interesting? And they were like, just ask questions. And I thought about it. And one of the most interesting people I've ever met in my life, I started with in public accounting and like brilliant. He's, I mean, he like one of the, the people leading the, the, one of the trainings we were doing had to step out for some reason. And he like stepped up and was like, yeah, I'll, I'll run this show. I know how to do it. <laughs> like, you just graduated two months ago. How do you know all this? So he's that brilliant. And he would ask, I mean, that's all he did. He just asked people questions and he would be very interested in their answers also. And it wasn't fake at all. And so I, I remember thinking when I read that, I went, that is very true. Like just asking people questions is, um, it makes you more interesting. It takes the pressure off of having to be any kind of, um, to be interesting yourself is all, you know, all you have to do is ask a question. So, um, yeah, yeah I a hundred percent agree with that. So I know you have built your audit department basically, uh, from the ground up. What are some lessons learned from doing that? Even some that maybe people that have a, you know, a mature, we'll say audit department that maybe they could apply. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of complexity to it. Um, <clears throat> you know, outside of just the business itself and determining what you have to do, which is one, that's a, that's a whole different issue. Uh, but, but building the team, you know, what I have found, and, and this might, I might be answering the question in the incorrect way as well, but, uh, you know, the team members become really important. I've made some really bad hires and I've made some really outstanding hires. And, and I will tell you, interviewing and hiring is an extraordinarily challenging process very challenging and there's no secret to it. Right. There's no, per yeah, I can't even give someone the, I could go have an interview with someone and they knock my socks off and they end up being the worst hire I've ever made in my life. Yeah. I wish, I wish all hires could be nothing more than try to buy, right? Where you, you come on board for three months and if I like you, we'll keep you. I don't even care if I got to pay you a little extra money because of that hassle. Yeah. Uh, it'd be wonderful. Um, but what, I, what I've started to learn is out of all of that, if, if I don't come out of an interview saying I have to have them, then the right answer is not to hire. Uh, and, and, and once I've changed that mindset, it's, it's, I've made a lot better hires. 
you know, because more and in today's economy, especially in today's economy, it's so much everyone's under such high demand and it's it's extremely challenging to get anybody at, at all that it's easy to uh, just be willing to say, OK, I'll, yeah, I, I just need a body. Take what you get. Yeah. Take what you get. Oh, my gosh. That will hurt you in the long run. It will it will you'll spend so many hours because of that hire. It's not worth it wait i don't care get get a temp get get a contractor until you can get the right body in obviously hiring is going to be a a big piece of building out um the team and the department in going through the hiring process you're recommending at the end of the interview or however many interviews there are if you can't answer the question do i have to have that person and it's not a yes then let them go that's right that's right it has to be that's good practical advice yeah, and I, I had someone actually say as much so as if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And and that that has served me well since I've taken that approach. And, and I've had to turn down some people that probably were very qualified for the position, but it, it just wasn't a hell yes. The amount of detail that goes into building from the ground up, I mean, honestly, I, I, there's a lot of people out there that, that probably, well, maybe a lot of people haven't done it. Actually, there's not a lot of companies that don't have anything in place that are that are of the magnitude like where I'm at, where it's $4 billion and you have nothing and you got to start. I mean, you're going to spend your first month just getting your feet underneath you. And arguably I'm, I'm a year into it and I still barely have my feet underneath yeah. me because there's just so much going on. Uh, but all the way from the scoping, you know, really the first step is just understanding what you have, you know, risks, everything's risk, risk, risk. We need to be thinking life in terms of risk and not, so many auditors get this wrong and, and external auditors are a little better, but they get it wrong as well, which is they start to just think purely numbers. They start to think, you know, they, but they forget about the risk. And, and, and that's the first thing I'm always asking my team is like, oh, we got these credit memos. It's a big number. Uh, what should we do about them? You know, do we need controls? There's no control. I'm like, what's the risk? Yeah. What is the risk? Because if I don't know what the risk is, then I don't know what the control needs to be. And I don't know if I need to carry it. So I need you guys to go do a little bit more research, find out what the risk is so we can properly assess this. And and, and putting an engagement together is is all about that, right? So forget about staffing for a moment because that's a whole different ballgame. You have highs and lows, hills and valleys of staffing that you have to start to be to gauge, you know, co-source, full outsource. It's, it's an incredible amount of work just to figure all that out. But in regards to just getting it set up and going through, you know, in our case, we have 40, 40 uh, entities that we had to evaluate. You know, a lot of it comes down to getting coverages. You know, the auditors always want coverages. But on top of that, there's there's the assessment of risk on those coverages, right? Just because a company is, is larger or of size doesn't mean they're of risk. And so being able to evaluate, you know, we had 80% coverage. Okay, well, you had 20% you didn't touch. Is that a problem? That's probably a big number when you really think about it. And so being able to assess, you know, a lot of auditors think about it as one. Well, 80% coverage, therefore the 20% is out of scope. Okay. Okay. But you do realize those companies still do need controls. And more often than not, if you go to these smaller companies, you're going to people who just start up. What they end up doing is they end up leaving those 20% off and they don't think they need controls at all. And the auditors, the external auditors kind of let it slide because of materiality, but I'm like, goodness gracious, there's a lot of risk right there. Um, But then putting a plan together and you need a tool. And this is where audit board has really come to to help us out. You know, I've used them for for seven years and I've set up two engagements on it. And I've actually helped a couple other small um, 
couple other small companies set up Autoport as well for themselves. Uh, it's been something that I've actually kind of gotten a little bit of a niche doing at the moment. Not that I'm, I'm it's not a side business as much as it's just fun. <laughs> so I'll take a day and set up a whole, set up a company. Um, but in doing that, you know, it, it's kind of funny because when I went to Autoport the very first time and set up my very first job, they said, okay, well, give us the information and, and we'll populate everything for you and we'll get it all going. And, and this is the very first time, right? So I was never planning on setting it up and like, well, just give us everything you have. Yeah, We'll set it up for you and then you get going. We'll turn it on for you. It'll be about a couple of weeks. I'm like, I got nothing to give you. <laughs> there is nothing here. We're building it. I called you up. I want your software. Yeah. And, and so I fell into building out Autoport because I, I literally told him, hey, just flip the switch, get the server set up and hit go and give me a blank slate. And they did. And I'm, I'm happy that they did it. Um, I don't think they'll do that anymore. Yeah. But, um, they're too big now. Um, but in doing that, my goodness, I learned an incredible about, amount about the tool, but I also, it, you know, it forces you to really remap, rethink through, here's the risk. Why is that risk there? What controls make sense for it? And you have to really, it's the thing that we should do every single year, right? We should reassess our risk. We should be going through our risk factors. It's why our ERM is important and, and being able to be able to reevaluate. I mean, look at the SEC now with, you know, global warming and, and are they going to put disclosures in on that? And okay, well, what's your risk factors? And do you have proper controls? Maybe not, maybe not a SOC side, but an operational side. There's, there's just an, an enormous amount of work that goes into the evaluation and, and having a tool that helps you to gather all of that to be able to put it together in, in a concise format. I use SharePoint and Excel and Word for a while and it just got burdensome. I, I mean, I, I had 10 different Excel files all linking to each other and, and, you know, someone else would get into your file and break a link and yeah. <laughs> you had to go try to find out what happened. I, I, I think I'd spend a hundred hours, 200 hours a year, just maintaining that. Yeah. I think that would be, I like what, when you're talking about how it for, you said forced and that's exactly the word I was thinking too. Not only your risks, but also your processes in general, depending, I guess, maybe on how mature they are. Um, I, I sat through a teammate implementation and the amount of, oh yeah, we never really thought about doing it like that, you know, that, that you get yeah. from doing it because the tool's telling you, hey, this is how you can do it. And you go, never really thought about that. That's a good idea. We should do that. And so just the changes that you have from that um, are really good. So I like that a lot. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. How Garen is someone that I've seen talk about this, and he's been on the show and he's been on other podcasts that we do, talks about this idea of there's not enough E's in the CAE acronym. Um, and so what he's saying is we have CAEs that are still acting like auditors rather than CAEs that are acting like executives or even have an executive um, mindset. So how can we get more CAEs to be 
executives rather than auditors? Yeah. You know what I, what I found, cause I, I, I do find myself blessed to have been working pretty hands-on with CFOs and CEOs, whereas oftentimes auditors end up just kind of being a, a, a forethought, you know, just a thought off in the distance that go do your work and report the results back to me. Um, you know, and, and really the way that I've used the method I've used to get in, if, if you want to call it in is, is through one, you have to be able to understand your audience. Right. So back, back to those soft skills that we talked about, you have to learn your executive team and you have to learn the things that they care about because the things that they care about, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be willing to put forth effort and energy into your helping to solve problems. Right. And so problem solving and risk assessing, but I'd really say problem solving, risk assessing, we do it anyways, but problem solving and helping the executives to solve issues is the way to internal audit. And, and, and that's the method I've used, right? Which is basically going in and, and saying, okay, well, you know, you can use an ERM, you can use, the ERM is an easy way because you have to go interview all the executives yeah. anyways. So that's a nice door. And, and it's something that every auditor has the ability to, to utilize because we should do ERMs at least to some level, even if it's a hybrid or a simple approach. Some companies use a six month approach. It takes forever. Yeah. Um, but at a minimum, you get into the, the, their atmosphere of understanding, right? Okay, do you have supply chain issues? Do you have, okay, well, you know, we're, we're, why don't we, how about this? Here's, here's a couple of suggestions or ways that we could potentially help you, right? And, 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 and that's what they need to understand is I'm here to help you. I want, I want to make the company better, right? I'm not just here to audit. I'm not just here to come up with finance. How can we improve the business? Uh, even so much so as, you know, on this last, on the, on the company where I'm currently at, I, I told the CEO and CFO when they hired me, as I said, look, guys, I, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. It's, it's, I've, I've loved it. Um, it happens to be something I'm good at. I fell into it. I wasn't planning on being an internal auditor my whole life, but you know, life has a way of kind of end up pushing you where, where you're good, yeah. you know, doors open. I said, but I want to take this and be able to apply this in different avenues of the company, whether it be that I stay in this role and I just have different opportunities or whether it be I just change opportunities altogether. But having that really forward thought has opened up doors in regards to bringing me into, you know, you could argue should internal audit be in cybersecurity? I'd say yes, but I've been at companies where they haven't. Well, I'm, I'm at the table for cybersecurity. Um, I'm at the table for a lot of executive discussions where it's just bringing in the concept of have we thought through the risk side or is there anything else that we could potentially help out with the business, right? So how do we introduce the risk component? Good, great. You're going through all these strategic assessments, but have we thought about the risk with that? Yeah. Have we thought about the things that can we, let's, let's mitigate that side of it so that, you know, while we're going through these strategic initiatives, we don't catch ourselves getting hung up on something that we didn't expect or didn't see. Yeah. Just being able to ask the, what's the risk question, because that's what we typically think about all the time and maybe not what, what they think about. Um, there was a, a CEO, a local CEO that I was having breakfast with, I think, and was telling me what was going on. And, you know, it's like, well, what are your thoughts? And I was like, I don't really know your industry or really what you're talking about. So I don't know. So I just, I was like, what's the risk of that decision? And they just sat back, like, never really thought about it like that. I just yeah. kind of sat back too. I was like, all right, yeah. that was nice. So uh, yeah. that, it, it really is a great, you know, we, we were talking about questions earlier. It's a great question to ask because a lot of people don't think about, like actually think about the risk. It's almost like, 
oh yeah, that might work or that might not work, but to really think about it and, and do it with intention, I think is um, pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, another perfect example is you were going through the inacquisition of an international company and they're still sitting on TSAs for, for their IT, you know? And so one of the first things I said is great, we're going to transition over everything that they currently have. That's going to bear a lot of risk. We, we should really be involved with that transition to make sure that we have controls and things in place that nothing drops or hits the floor. Don't bring us in after the fact yeah. and have us find the issues Bring us in more strategically on the front end where we can be consultative. And, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to execute things, sure. right? Because then we'd impair our independence, but we sure can help and, and do more of a, a front end consultative. I call it, I got a consultative hat and I've got a socks hat. Right? <laughs> and, and I like wearing my consultative hat a whole lot more than I like wearing my socks hat. And, and so the more you can, you can get people to realize that you can be consultative, which I think some, some executives don't even realize that's a possibility. Um, we sure hire a whole lot of consultants to come in and be consultative. Yeah. Why not bring in someone who knows the business extraordinarily well and knows a lot of the risks that already exist to, to, to fill that role. Yeah. And, and so that, that's a way to really to become a CIE of an organization, but yeah, you have to be thinking much more strategic, much more operational, much bigger picture. Um, than your directors and your managers who are really down doing the work. And, and you mentioned earlier, um, but you've been in audit 20 plus years, um, an audit leader for a number of those years as well. And so you've, you've seen a lot. Um, and so I'm curious, what, what's a commonly held belief within the profession that you, you disagree with? Yeah, I mean, the, the parts that I struggle quite honestly with, uh, there's a few things that we, look, I hate form over function. Yep. Okay. I hate it. I absolutely despise it. And so when you see things being put into place just because, and it doesn't add any value whatsoever, things that add value, I have no problem putting it in place. And, and I see actually a lot of socks actually is very beneficial. There's, there's a lot to it that makes a lot of sense. And it's very rare that you end up coming out of a, a, a SOX implementation where um, people don't see value that was added. I, I, as a matter of fact, I've implemented SOX at over 30 plus engagements because I was back. I used to be on the consultative side as well, where we do implementations of SOX. And, yeah. and at the end, I'd always ask because in the very beginning and along the process, they said, this makes no sense. It's a waste of my time. And so I always said, look, at the very end, I'm going to ask you the same question that I ask everyone else, which is, did you see any value and do you see any benefit as to what took place? And inevitably, I never had a single client say they didn't see value in what we did. Now, everyone will always say there's some things that we have to do now that make no sense and yeah. it's a waste of time. And, and frankly, I agree with them, but it's part of the profession. And a lot, you know, one of my biggest gripes is uh, on the IP and CNA of data. Okay. 100% makes sense. We need to ensure the data that we use is accurate, it's complete, because without that, the control really garbage in, garbage out. But the amount of work we put on just, hey, you ran the parameters, but did you, but you didn't put your little tick tie, tick, you know, I'm like, that's going back to back when socks initially kicked off. I'd really, I, I care more that the work is done and that you're able to talk about it and I can see evidence of what you did than I care about the fact that you tick and tied and signed something off. Yeah. And so that's the part to me that drives me 
crazy is when we do things that don't add value. Do you have a, you gave an example there. Do you have another uh, like example that you've seen maybe that's even common? Well, the data, the data is very common. Yeah. I see that a lot. Um, and, you know, even on, even on the control side, I, I see a lot, you know, perfect example is, I'm working with four different firms right now because you know, we're large enough that we have a lot of different bodies in. And it's amazing the differences between audit firms. Like even though we have one set, we, we have one PCOB, we have one set of regulations that we're supposed to follow. We have billions of interpretations of that regulation. And, and the, I'm actually taking a little bit of a tangent here, but this is another very important part, which is, you know, I just got an email actually just the other day from one of our operating companies and the operating company's complaint was internal audits moving the goalposts. Okay. Hate that comment because realistically no goalposts have been moved whatsoever, but there's a lot of interpretation that takes place. And, and a lot of that comes out of, it comes out of, you know, you audit, you find something, but then, you know, I come back and I find something different or, you know, it's, it's a lot of it has to do with IPE and, 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 and here's the other side of it is a lot of it has to do with the firms that are doing the audit work. So we actually outsource a lot of our testing because we just have so much testing. We can't do it internally. And, and in doing so you get multiple firms potentially touching a business and they all have different interpretations as to what is right. And, and so for a business that can be extraordinarily frustrating, right? Because you did it right this time. Next time you do it, same way it's wrong yeah and the next time it's right <laughs> uh, if i could change one thing in our industry it would be somehow get everyone to be of the same mindset now the fact is that will never happen yeah um but it's extremely frustrating to, to everyone within the industry and it's extremely frustrating to people within the businesses as an audit leader what do you care about yeah, you know, as an audit leader, what I care about, I do care about the profession, right? I care about that we're continuing to get better. And and I see internal audit becoming more valuable. You know, it's 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 I think it's kind of played a backup role. And and I do see some some positive things taking place in the industry where internal audit's becoming more valued. And 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 SOX was a piece of it, but you know, honestly, SOX is the intention of SOX, and, and I get on a soapbox about SOX. I'm like, look, SOX, we don't do things because of SOX. Mm -hmm. SOX was developed to basically ensure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. It's just a method of actually analyzing yeah. and evaluating and making sure it's in place. So many companies say, well, I got to do that because of SOX. That's not true. Don't, don't say that, that you'll drive me crazy. Yeah. We don't do it because of SOX. There's nuances that maybe we do because of SOX, but we don't execute controls because of SOX. Right. So that being said, as, as an auto leader, what I do care about though is I, I, I care that, you know, we, we guard our profession and, and we make sure, you know, trust and and honesty and you know just the morals of our obligation of what we do but being able to be value add you know and, and making sure that we're we're part of that executive team and we're part of the decision making that's taking place and making sure that you know the people that are coming up in the profession underneath us are uh, trained in soft skills you know I'll go back to those soft skills I can't say it enough you know if you if we want to be valuable and be appreciated and be a part of return on value, we have to be able to be part of the environment that, you know, people want you there. Um, and, and, and I can't, it's, it's so critical. It's so important that we're there. We're part of the businesses. We help, we help the businesses to grow. We help them to, 
to be better, business process improvement. We can reduce costs. We can find more efficient ways to do things. No one in an organization has a better view at the detail of what's going on in the under in the inner workings, especially the more decentralized you are. You, you, we bring a mindset and we bring a viewpoint that most people don't have. You know, they, look, there's people in organizations on the operational sides that are brilliant and know a lot of information. But we, we see a lot, right? In, in my instance, the exact specific instance we have, we have 40 companies of which we're inside 20 and we're visiting the other 20. We, we can bring value where we can say, gosh, you know, this other company's doing it in a different way than, than you are. Have you evaluated this? Have you seen this report inside the system? And you can truly, truly add it, make a difference and bring value to the organizations. And so the more we do that, the more we'll be appreciated, the better our industry will be. Uh, and, and, and things like this, where we're sharing information amongst ourselves, the roundtables, the IIA, I mean, it's all very valuable. It's all very good things that, that I, I, you know, I, I strongly support all of that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we did cover a lot of, of various topics. Uh, is there anything that you would like to leave the audience with? Yeah, I, I'll just say this again. You know, it's important that we basically do our, our risk assessments, make sure we're taking the right approach uh, in evaluating our our uh, engagements every year. Don't just get, don't ever fall into complacency, yeah. right? That, that you, the, you'll eventually get burned by that. Um, but then you always want to, I want to throw out a thanks to my, my team. Like any, any audit leader is, is, a, is in that position because they have strong people underneath them. If you don't have strong people, you're not going to be successful. So bringing in the right team, which I happen to be um, very lucky and, and uh, it's, it's, I've hired the right people and they've all exceeded my expectations in regards to where they're at, which is, which has helped me out tremendously to be able to, to leading be on the strategic side as, as I can, as I can delegate off to them and they can get the individual work done. So again, big, big thanks to, uh, to Chris, Emily and Justin and, and, and the next senior that we're going to be hiring as well. Hey everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the audit podcast, whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.